Um, so if you have your Bible, um, open up to Romans 8, verses 26 to 30. By the way, you can all solve the issue of predestination over coffee later. Let me know what you come up with. And so Romans 8, 26 to 30, which is on page 800, 801, if you're using the chair Bibles. <clears throat> have you ever walked past a construction site and wondered what they were building? Sometimes it's easy to tell it's clearly a house, it's clearly an office building, but other times it might be an unusual design and, and you see it starting to go up and, and you think, what's that going to be? <laughs> um, this happened down the street from the church building when I pastored in, in Canada. There, there had been a gas station on the corner and they tore it down and rumor was they were going to build a, a new one with a convenience store added on. But as the building started to go up, I thought, that doesn't look like any mini-mart that I've ever seen. It had these big curved sweeping roof lines, and it looked like some avant-garde restaurant or something. I didn't know what it was going to be. And so each time I'd walk past, I'd check the progress, and I'd try to figure out what it was that they were building. Well, it turns out it was a really modern-looking storefront with an unusual design, but I couldn't have guessed that until it was nearly completed. And sometimes, the truth is, you can't see what it's going to be until you see how it all comes together in the end. Well, um, I think that life is like that. We, we in life, it, it's like we're walking past a construction site and looking at what's being built. And, and we're wondering, what in the world is this going to turn out to be? <laughs> We look at the beauty of the sky, we look at the mountains, we look at the world, the, the vastness of space, the intricacies of a, a human cell. We see love and we see tenderness and joy and wonder in, in the people around us, but, but then we also see cruelty and injustice and nastiness and violence. In your own life, you face opportunities and, and setbacks, you face joys and disappointments and twists and turns and surprises. And then you also see suffering and you see deprivation and you see tragedy. And in fact, maybe you suffer it yourself or you watch those you love hurt and you wonder why. You step back from life and you ask, what's being built here? What's the meaning of all of this? It doesn't seem to make sense sometimes. It, I, I can't tell what's going on and, and what it's all going to be. Well, um, this has always been a particular puzzle for those who believe in God, especially for those of us in the West who are Jews or Muslims or Christians, because we believe in a great and all-powerful God, an and all-knowing God, and also a God who is good. That is, we believe that there's an architect, that there's a builder behind life, that life isn't just a random series of occurrences without meaning or purpose. Rather, we believe that there's a God who's at work in, in what happens, and so we expect to find a meaning in life, that there's some kind of pattern or purpose. And, and so the truth is, it's probably those with the greatest faith in God who question God most. Right? I mean, read the Psalms. It's those with deep faith who, who cry out loudest, who complain most vigorously, who, who ask why most often. Because we expect that there's a plan. We expect that there's meaning. And when we take a look at what's being built at the construction site of life, and it's so confusing and it's so unclear, 
we're surprised, we're perplexed. And so we ask the planner, we ask the builder what in the world he's doing. Wouldn't it be great if we could see? If we could see what it will all shape up to be like in the end. What it's all heading toward, what the finished product will be. Well, that's what today's passage is about. When we looked at this passage a couple Sundays back, Greg Howe did a great job um, with the verses leading up to it, and he just didn't have time to really get to this part. He apologized to me afterwards, and I said, you had so much content. You know, you did great. It's as always, you can't touch on everything. But I thought verses 28 to 30 are so important that it's worth, before we finish the book of Romans, to take one last week and go back and look at these verses. Um, and so this is how we're going to wrap up our journey through Romans this spring, this morning. Because these verses reveal what the building that God is building will look like when it's finished. They show us where life is headed and what it all means. Not in all the details, but at least in some of the main points. So Paul begins uh, in the beginning with predestination. And all the confusion and the arguments about what predestination means aside... Don't miss the main point, and that is that what's being built on the construction site of life was designed. It was planned by someone. The construction site isn't just to make it up as you go along and maybe it'll turn into something and maybe it won't kind of a situation. No, there's an architect. There's a, a master designer who sat down ahead of time, sat down ahead of time, and laid plans and drew up blueprints and architectural drawings of what he would one day bring about for this world and for your life and for mine. And sure, we have choices. We contribute along the way. But it's also true that there is a master plan, that life is heading somewhere God is involved, actively involved, and there's a method to his madness. Well, before we look at where it's all going, let's also go back and remember the context that Paul is, is speaking to here in, in Romans 8. He's speaking into the context of, of difficulty and suffering and trouble. Paul is helping us wrestle with the fact that sometimes life really hurts. And, and we go through hard times and, and we groan. And so Paul assures us in verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness because we do not even know what we ought to pray for. Have you ever felt like that? Have you, have you ever felt like, like life was so painful and, and so confusing that, that you knew you had to pray, but you didn't even know what to say? I've been there many times. I remember one time in, in 2007, our family was still living in Canada, and our church had become deeply divided over a few issues. And I was getting angry emails from people. The elders were too. And, and the congregation actually voted out two of our elders who they, some people blamed for these problems. Um, several other leaders resigned in protest. And, and while all this was going on in the church, meanwhile, my dad, 3,000 miles away, was dying of cancer. And, um, and then Anne wound up in, in, in the ER with a miscarriage. And, and at this point, in, in my weakness, with all this going on, I didn't know how to pray. <laughs> but Paul says, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. Isn't that comforting? 
when we don't know how to pray, when, when there are no words, when, when we're looking at the building project and we have no idea what the builder could possibly be doing, God himself, through his Holy Spirit, takes up our groaning into his groaning and intercedes for us and with us. And Paul assures us that the Spirit knows what to pray for. Why? Because the Spirit knows the master plan, the design. He knows what God is building. Verse 27, God not only searches our hearts to know us inside and out, but his Spirit intercedes for us in accordance with the will of God. And what is the will of God? Well, it's to see God's plan implemented. It's to see the construction project go forward. And what is the plan? What is the purpose of all the construction that God is doing? Well, Paul starts to tell us in verse 28. In all things, he says, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What's God's will? Well, first of all, it's to work all things for our good. Now, notice what Paul does not say here. He does not say that everything that happens to us is good. He does not say that. He also does not mean that God works everything out for good so that like in a sitcom, every problem gets solved in 30 minutes and there's a happy ending. No, Paul's taking a much longer term view here. What, what, Paul, what, is, what Paul is actually saying is, is that God takes everything that happens and, and works it together for our ultimate good. So this isn't Paul being a Pollyanna here, and, and I wouldn't suggest that you use this verse to comfort someone who's right in the midst of deep pain. Because it comes off as trite. It comes off like you don't really care. You're making light of it. This is true in the big picture. In the short term, Paul knows that terrible stuff happens. Um, even to God's people. And, and Paul isn't promising that there's a wonderful rainbow just around every corner. But what he's saying is that in the big picture, in the broad sweep of things, God is committed eventually to redeeming the bad stuff to work something good in us through it. And that's what the Spirit is interceding and groaning for. So when I was dealing with all the hurt and the stress and the, the confusion surrounding church and my dad and Anne's pregnancy, the Spirit was interceding for me. And, and what was the Spirit praying? The, the, the Spirit was praying God's plan, God's will for me. And what's God's will? It's for my ultimate good. So the Spirit must have been praying something like this. God, this hurts, Dick. This, this is awful what he's going through, but will you work good into Dick through all this? And what is that good? Well, Paul tells us in verse 29, he reveals more of the master plan, that we would be conformed to the image of God's Son. So what's the good the Spirit was praying for me? The Spirit was praying God, make Dick more like Jesus through all of this. Make him more closely resemble your son. That's God's will. That's what the Spirit prays for. That's what the construction project is about. I like the way C.S. Lewis put it um, 
in his book, Mere Christianity. I think I've quoted this before. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building, or that the, uh, the explanation is that he is building quite a different house than the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What is God's purpose? It's to build a palace fit for divine royalty. And we are those palaces. For those God foreknew, he also predestined, for what? To be conformed to the image of his Son. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's what the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with wordless groans that we would be made more like Jesus, as we sang. Is that what you pray for? That's God's will for each one of us. And then get this, because now Paul pulls back the curtain and shows us even more of the master plan. He shows us what God's master design has been all along and what the meaning of life is in this world. Verse 29, that Christ might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Do you hear what the plan is? (laughs) It's that Christ might be the firstborn among many brothers brothers and sisters. The purpose behind it all is that one day, gathered around Jesus, will be a whole family of brothers and sisters who look and act an awful lot like him and their father. That's always been what it's about. Even before the creation of the world, when God was looking out into the future, contemplating all he was going to make. When God was envisioning the human beings that he was going to create and, and what we do and how we turn out, that we'd use our freedom to choose that he gave us to rebel against us and to mess up the world, and that God would be faced with choosing to allow his own son to suffer and to die in our place to win us back to himself. Even then, God had a shining dream in his heart that one day, we'd all gather at his dinner table once again with Christ Jesus at the head and God would look at all of his children and we'd all be a lot like his firstborn son, Jesus. That's the meaning of life. That, Paul says, is what it's always all been about. And all through history, all through your life and mine, God has been working diligently to bring this plan to pass. And so verse 30, Paul concludes, 
Those God predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Notice glorified is in the past tense. As if it had already happened. As if it's all a done deal. As if God is bound to bring this construction project on schedule and on budget to a satisfactorily completion. (laughs) Imagine that in New York City. (laughs) So if, if that's what life is about, if that's what your purpose, your identity, my purpose, my identity is about, that, that long before you were even created, God looked out into the future and knew you and loved you and chose you and predestined you, however that works, to be one of those who would be conformed to the image of his Son to be among those sons and daughters who will sit at that table at the end looking a lot like his son Jesus. If all of that is true, then then what does that mean for us now? Well, it means that we know what our life is about. You know what your life is about. Because you see, when God created humans all the way back in in Genesis 1, how how did he make us? Well, in his own image, right? To, to reflect what God was like, to represent God in, in his creation. But of course, we rebelled against God, we, we forgot about God, and that image got spoiled. Not ruined completely, but, but pretty warped, pretty roughed up. But when Jesus came, Paul told us in Romans 5, Jesus was like a new Adam, a new first human being, made with God's image restored, complete and, and pure uh, and clear again. And so Jesus showed us what a human being is supposed to look like. Which is to say, Jesus showed us what it means for a human being to reflect what God looks like. So when we're being conformed to the image of Jesus, we are becoming fully human again. The image of God is being restored in us, which means we look again like what God looks like. As one of my seminary professors once put it, people should be able to, he said this to us students, people should be able to look at you and say, so that's what God is like. Do you see how it all comes together? This is is who we are. This is what it's all about. This is what's being built on the construction site. A family. A whole family of brothers and sisters who are a lot like Jesus and who are a lot like his father God and who will enjoy being a family together forever. So here's the question for each of us individually. Have you ever tried to build a block house or a block tower with a toddler? (laughs) I, I have four kids, so I've had that pleasure many times. I'll have this idea, you know, this master plan. I'm down on the floor. I'm like, okay, we're going to play together. Let's make something, you know. And so I have this idea of what this tower is going to look like. But, of course, the toddler has no clue and could care less what my idea is. Um, For them, it's more interesting to take the blocks off your tower and and build their own thing because, of course, your blocks are better than the hundred other blocks that are lying around. Um, or else they, they want to help you build your tower, right? And, and of course, so they clumsily knock half of it down along the way. 
Or, or maybe for them, knocking it down is the real fun. <laughs> and so before you get it half built, they always knock it down, right? So, so question, is that how you act? Is that how I act in relation to God's building project? Do we understand his will, his plan, his purpose for life? That he's trying to make us all like Jesus? Are we working with him? Or, or like a toddler, are we just ignorantly doing our own thing? Maybe we're more interested in our own agenda or our own comfort or our own success rather than being made like Jesus or helping others to be made like Jesus. Because here's the thing. Do you know what the biggest thing you can do to become more like Jesus is? The biggest thing you can do is really want to become like Jesus. And if you don't want this very much, uh, the best thing you can do is, is confess this sin to God and beg him to change your heart, my heart. Because wanting what God wants and asking him for it is three quarters of the battle. The rest of it's pretty straightforward, actually. You know, I've heard people in church laugh and say, yeah, I'd never pray for God to make me humble. <laughs> I'd never pray God make me patient. Because I know God might answer, and that would be painful. Well, guess what? When we think like that, we're being just like the toddler. We're doing our own thing. We're missing the plan. We're missing the big design. We're missing the meaning of life. Because here's the truth that Paul is sharing with us. When we pray for comfort and for safety, instead of for character and for Christ-likeness, we are praying against the will and the purpose of God. And we're contradicting the Holy Spirit as he groans and he intercedes for us. And so when all is said and done and the construction project is finished... And we get to God's supper table. And we look around at the family. We may wind up being like the ugly duckling. <laughs> Looking around and realizing we're out of place. And we have little in common with Jesus. And we bear little resemblance to the rest of the family. May that not be so of us. Let's pray. God, um, as we sing these new next couple songs, um, not these new couple songs, these next couple songs, as we um, prepare our hearts for communion, we want to take stock of our hearts. And um, we want to ask, are we, are we really willing to pray, God, whatever it takes, make me like Jesus? And if you are silently, I'd encourage you to pray that prayer right now. I'm sure you've prayed it before, but to pray it again. And if you, if you aren't, I'd encourage you to confess to God that you don't want what he wants, that you're resistant to his building project. And if you're willing, you could ask him to, to at least begin by overcoming your resistance. I want to give you just a second to pray.
God, I confess that many times I've had to pray, uh, confess that it's hard for me to pray, God, whatever it takes, make me like Jesus. And I've resisted that. And so once again, I confess um, my resistance to you. And God, I pray for all of us, you turn our hearts to see um, the glory, the wonder, the goodness of, of your dream to pull together a family of people who look like Jesus, who enjoy the family likeness of yourself, that we would be made truly human to reflect your image with all the love and goodness that Jesus showed us. God, make us into that people. Amen.